0: Maybe seated.
1: Good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And uh, it's kind of started off to be a yucky morning. So thank you all for coming out. Great morning of singing praises to God. Uh, so do me a favor. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to start a new series this morning called Authentic. And uh, I've wrestled with this series for a while now. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, but I'm excited. And uh, so if you, uh, if you have your Bible, oh, you can open right to the beginning of your Bible in Genesis. Okay, we're going to start in Genesis 1 through Genesis 3 this morning. If you have a handout, you can follow along there. Uh, I really want to encourage you to get that out. And uh, if you're if you've signed up for a small group, that's your uh, that's your preparation for your small group. As Pastor Jeff said at the beginning, we're going to be doing sermon based small groups, and and uh, and that's your preparation for that. Okay, so if you are not in a small group, uh, it's not too late to join up. Okay, we would love for you to make a six week commitment. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been one, in one. Maybe you've never been in one. I really want to encourage you. Give it a six week try. Okay, we believe it's a big part of of growing to be more like Christ. We believe it's a big part of being authentic, and it's a word that we all like in our culture but have a hard time defining, so uh, being in a small group will help you grow to be more like Christ. You can sign up on your way out at the small group desk, and we'd love to have you get involved. when I, was in, uh, when I was in college, um, I, I was actually, as I was graduating, I needed a car because I lived in Chicago, and I didn't need a car uh, when I lived in downtown Chicago, and so when I graduated, I moved back to my hometown in Baltimore, and, uh, and I looked in the paper, in the classified ads, to buy a car. Now, for you young people, okay, the paper is how we used to buy used things, okay, and and if you didn't find what you were looking for, you were okay with that. We didn't need immediate gratification to buy used things. We understood it was going to take some time. I mean, there was no Craigslist, eBay, Amazon, whatever. All right, you were you were okay with looking. I almost brought one this morning just to show it to some people. All right, so uh, but I I was kind of searching through the classifieds and. I found an old Pontiac Grand Prix. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know what that looks like, just imagine a large cardboard box, okay? That's what this thing looked like. And I purchased this thing, and it had low miles, and, and I purchased it. And uh, a couple months after owning it, it, had, it needed a little bit of work. I took it to a friend of mine who was a mechanic, and he, says, he asked me, he said, what you pay for this? And I told him, and he said, man, you paid like premium price for a car with low miles, And I said, Yeah, and he goes, I I hate to tell you this, I, I think your odometer was rolled back. I think this car has has more miles. And I remember like feeling like violated, right? Like I was angry, like something had been stolen from me. And and maybe you're you're here this morning and something has been stolen from you, you know, physically someone broke into your house. And you know, like it's a violating feeling and 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 I hated that feeling, uh, feeling like, man, someone stole from me. I overpaid for this car. And um, since I really didn't know, I just turned and sold it as quickly as I could. Okay, so there we go. End of that story. But, you know, um, our culture, we love the idea of the word authentic, right? It's all over the place. and, and, And you hear it all the time. In fact, in our vision statement at Coastal, our vision is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And the reason that this series and this word has been such a wrestle for me is as I've thought about and prayed about, how do I define authentic? You know, it's, I always say it's a little, there are things in life that are hard to define. It's a little bit like trying to define beauty, right? Tell someone, hey, would you do me a favor, define beauty for me. Like defining beauty is kind of one of those things like you you know it when you see it, right? But it's hard to define. Define love for me. Of course, the Apostle Paul gives us a definition of love, but it's not always easy to define love. You know it when you see it. And I think authentic is one of those things like we know it when we see it. And this morning, the reason we're turning to Genesis is we're going to start with the beginning of how God intended everything and what you're going to leave here with this morning a little bit, and you're going to have to come back next week to get the conclusion of this sermon is what has been stolen from us because originally god had designed for mankind to be authentic and that was robbed in the fall of man that we're going to get to in genesis chapter 3 webster defines authentic this way ready he says authentic is not an imitation That's one of your blank not an imitation next to that i put the word real like you know when something's real or not fake Conforming, number two, Webster says it's conforming to fact or reality. Authentic is conforming to fact or reality. Next to that, I put the word truth, right? When something's true, we know it to be true. Number three, Webster defines authentic as to reproduce essential features, right? And next to that I put the word Christ-likeness. And you know, we grow to be more like Christ. We're reproducing the essential features of what it means to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, we're gonna go back to God's original design for mankind. And we're gonna draw a few points out of a, a journey through the first couple chapters of Genesis. Okay, so let's take a look at God's original design for humanity. All right? God's original design for humanity. Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-six says this, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish. I want to struggle the word reign. Okay. They will reign over the fish and they will reign over the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout all the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given you every green plant for food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along around, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And I love this chapter, man. I read this in my, and my, there's a sense, in, and you got to be a little bit poetic about it, but man, there's a sense in which my heart soars and aches for that, because first, let's kind of unpack this for a moment, okay? So God, so mankind is made to rule and to govern over all the earth. Man is given dominion over the earth. Now, here's the problem. We read this through the lens of Genesis chapter 3. In other words, now in fallen humanity, whenever we hear the word dominion or rule or reign, like we push back. And the reason we push back is everything we know is when someone's given a lot of authority, they abuse the authority oftentimes, right? So we got to push back, but you got to understand this is written in the perfect sense. This is not evil dictatorial. No, this is where God is saying, you have leadership. All the earth is submitted. You have the right to to rule it, but you're going to be a good dictator, if you will. Always looking out for the interests of the earth itself. In fact, anytime you read in the Bible about leadership or uh, someone when there's a, a what I call functional order, which there is functional order to things that the scriptures define for us. Whenever there's functional leadership, the leader is always to be submitted to God, humble in heart and serving those that they lead. Does that make sense? Jesus modeled that for us, right? What did did Jesus do? We just got done the John series, right? And I didn't spend a lot of time on this, but in John chapter 12 and 13, what did Jesus do to his disciples? Remember when he bent over and he took the form of a servant, he washed his disciples' feet? He was a servant leader. He died for his followers. Jesus modeled for us what it means to rule or to govern in a way that you serve others, and so mankind is in this healthy and good environment, and they're given the earth with all of its resources to be used to honor God. Genesis chapter 2, Moses, who's the author of Genesis, he elaborates 215. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. <clears throat> so mankind had a they had some purpose, right? Adam and Eve were given purpose in the garden, and the purpose was good, and it was rewarding. In fact, there's a big difference between work and toil, by the way. Toil is a a part of the curse. Work is something that's fulfilling, and work is something that accomplishes things, and work is is rewarding, and work is, to use the Genesis word, is fruitful. And by the way, we get glimpses of that now, right? We go to work, and there's things that are rewarding and things that are fulfilling, but there's part of what we do that's toil, it's without purpose, it's tedious, it's difficult, and it's fruitless. We're going to talk about why that is here in a few minutes. But in the good part, man, where God is in his original design, and man was to rule and to reign, they had purpose in the garden, but and they were to be fruitful. This is your next point. They were to be fruitful and multiply. Mankind was to fill the earth with humanity. I believe this is God's blessing on family on procreation and family. In fact, they were to to probably build community, right? I want you to imagine this. Imagine community in a sinless environment where, where like even in this broader community we live, imagine if everybody else looked out for the purposes of others as more important than themselves. I mean, imagine living in a community where literally there was peace on earth. Can you imagine how great that would be? Where where every person says, man, my neighbor and their interests are more important than my interests. What a great world that would be in. Perfect community. Every time I read this, I go, wow. And in this environment, in God's original design, it, it had God's full provision. Everything man needed. He said, there'll be plenty to eat. All the resources that you would need to expand are all given and blessed by God. And it's all under the full blessing of God. Like God blessed it all. I mean, I love the end of this where where God blesses it and he he looks over all he's made and he declares it very good. I, I feel like God went back and goes, I'm pretty impressed with what I did. Like this is good stuff, you know. And that is the environment. That's original design where man was in perfect relationship with God, their father, and man is in perfect relationship with one another. And that is the the original design. That is authentic, if you will, as God originally stamped it. I mean, there's this environment under which you got the full blessing of our creator God to man. Authentic in every sense of the word. There's no sin. There's no hiding. There's no abuse. There's no brokenness. There's no frustration. There's no fear. There's living in peace and harmony with God and others and with self and with creation, and with everything, perfect order, purpose, fulfillment, joy, happiness, provision. This is authentic in paradise as God originally designed it. Now, I'm going to make a transition because the title of the sermon, Broken Design, that's the what we wrestle with going forward, is the broken design of God. It's where we li- currently live, now, the challenge I've had, I'm going to do something really dangerous here this morning, okay? I'm going to be bold. Um, I have I, I wanted, so we're going to flip over to Genesis chapter 3. I wanted to pick and choose some verses, and as I read this, I thought, man, we, we need to hear the whole chapter this morning. So here's, here's Pastor Sean's dangerous move here this morning. I'm going to read... For you all of Genesis chapter 3 and the danger that is you're going to check out. I hope you'll give me, you know, we live in kind of this ADD culture. Give me three minutes of your attention. All right. I want you to be attuned to this. And I've got, I'm going to warn you. Okay. this If you really read this with the backdrop of paradise lost, of all that God had blessed us with, it's heartbreaking, really. As I read this, I was like, oh, my soul sinks. So let's jump in. Okay. Genesis 3.1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will what, church? And you'll die you won't die the serpent replied to the woman god knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like god knowing both good and evil the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and she ate it And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking through the garden. So they hid themselves from the Lord God. then the lord god called the man where are you and he replied i heard you walking in the garden so i hid i was afraid i was naked who told you you were naked the lord god asked have you eaten from the tree whose fruit i commanded you not to eat and the man replied it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and i ate it and then the lord will ask the woman have you done what have you done and the serpent, she said, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl in your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and You will strike his heel. I want you to circle verse 15 and we're going to conclude with that. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen your pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire control for your husband, but he will rule over you. In verse 17, and to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it, and it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And then the Lord said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. Then the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim from the east of the garden, and he placed his flaming sword that flashed back and forth so to guard the way to the tree of life. Welcome to your existence. I'm going to tell you something. Every time I read this, this chapter causes something to ache inside of me. There's a a sense in me that I go, man, I, I long for paradise and I can tell it's askew and I can tell I get glimpses, but man, my heart longs for it all. There is brokenness at levels at which we can never put a full description. There's brokenness in everything. Everything going forward is broken from God's original design. All that God originally intended from good is now—it's now careening in a direction that God never intended, and so where we live is in what I call broken design. We, what we now have, is is a cheap imitation. We very little of what we do now conforms to fact or reality. It's very difficult to, to duplicate the original features that God originally designed for us and for Adam and Eve. And so we live in this, era, this time of broken design. And what we see is this lost innocence of humanity, right? I mean, you could just see it in Adam and Eve. This, they had the, kind of like this childlike, simple trust in God their father. They had this beautiful relationship where uh, it seems like it was normal that the, in the cool of the evening they would hang out with God because God comes looking for looks like their normal hangout time. And he's like, where are you, Adam? Where, what, what's happening? This simple, authentic trust in one another is violated and gone, lost forever. You know, as a parent, like, like you want to... Have the ability to have that simple trust in everyone as you hand off your kids to someone else, don't you? The problem is there's been enough trust violated. We see it on TV all the time of people that violate the innocence of children that, as parents now, we kind of put up these guards. Like, I have to be really careful. Some of you in this room, like, you know the pain of your innocence being violated and hurt. And you struggle, it, it, it gets to the depth of your being all day, every day. And you struggle to overcome innocence lost. And Adam and Eve knew innocence lost. We see Adam and Eve, they realize that they're naked and ashamed, right? They're naked and ashamed. And so my joke is the fashion industry was born, right? Hey, I got an idea. Let's start our first fashion industry with some fig leaves, all right? Sew these bad boys together. This is deeper than, than just physical nakedness and physical shame. Like This is much deeper than this. This, is, this gets to, to relationships and it gets to spirituality where there's a nakedness and a shame. We struggle with authenticity in our relationships. It doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come easily because sin and disobedience to God has now entered the world. And so we gotta, there's a, in a very real sense, we have to fight for authenticity in all of our relationships. It doesn't come naturally. And there's a shame. In fact, I hear this all the time where people come to church. It's been a long time since they've been to church, right? And so they come in, and I guess in their minds, the church kind of sense represents God. They're like, I haven't been to church in corporate worship in a long time. Why? Well, I was afraid the roof would cave in, you know? What's that about? That's about, Pastor John, if you really knew my past, like God would want nothing to do with me. That is shame, That's the shame that Adam felt like I'm hiding from you. God didn't say to hide from them. It was just a natural thing. Once sin comes into our hearts and lives and we act on that sin, man, we don't want to be in front of God. We understand his holy nature. I don't want to be around God. I want to be around his people. That's shame. And we become inauthentic. We find Adam and Eve hiding from their creator, it's heartbreaking. God intended for good. God intended for relationship. And Adam and Eve are hiding. Where are you, Adam? It's the first time those words were ever uttered out of the mouth of God. There's some of you in this room that you're, today you're hiding from God. Right? Where are you? And Adam for the first time says, "I I was afraid and I was hiding." So at this point, this relationship between God and man is strained, and it's no longer authentic, and it no longer comes easily, and now it comes at a cost, and the cost is really to God Himself. Okay, for Him that relationship with us, and and even all of our closest relationships are strained going forward. All of our closest relationships are strained going forward. Adam admits his disobedience, and he blames his wife. All right. In fact, in a backhanded way, he even blames God. He says. This woman that you gave me, right? I was perfectly satisfied being all by myself until you gave me this wife, right? Now, I put on my glorified imagination as I was reading this, right? I, was, I got to thinking, like, okay, so Adam and Eve, they're kicked out of the garden, right? And God places his angel to protect them so they don't go to the tree of life and live forever in this broken, fallen state. And so, and so I can imagine as they're walking out of the garden, and they're not told that they gotta, they've, got to, they've got to work to, to get the ground to produce food. It's no longer just given to them. And so they're heading out of the garden, and I can imagine this silent treatment, that Eve is giving Adam for a while, right? And if you've been married for any length of time, you've been there, right? And so the silence room is going on for hours, and finally Adam looks over and goes, What is going on? And she looks at him like, What do you mean, what you know what's going on, right? And, you know, and so and so women like, when you feel like my husband cannot be this dumb, he really is. Okay, so he's like, like he really is that dumb, and he's like, What do you I don't know what, what do you mean what's going on? Did you, did you hear what you said when God showed up? You know, like, you acted like you didn't even know me or want me. You know, you act totally different when he shows up type thing, right? And so they have this crazy, and that's my glorified imagination. That's not in there, right? <laughs> I remember what you said when you first saw me. It was something like, whoa, man, you know, and uh, it's been all downhill ever since sin entered the pit. Like, what? But can you imagine? Like, that had never happened before. And now there's like this strain in this relationship. I imagine they're looking at each other like, what is going on here? Because sin and brokenness, it permeates every part of the design that God originally intended. And so what happens next is God follows through on his promised consequences, which by the way, I find it interesting uh, when Eve was asked by the serpent about the, uh, about the, fruit that they were not to eat of, um, <clears throat> she actually got it partly right and partly wrong. Nowhere did God say they couldn't touch it. They, he just said they couldn't eat of it. And what's interesting to me is she knew the consequences. She got that part right. Like, he, if we eat of it, we'll, we'll, we're going to die. And so God follows through here on his, on his promised consequences, Okay of paradise lost now I've got your handout wrong okay so you gotta you gotta hand write this in okay the first of the promised consequences is death okay and that's not in your handout so put a and put the word death physical death and what's interesting is that they don't die immediately I mean, if, the, if she knew that they would die, I mean, I wonder, again, this is Sean's glorified imagination, I don't know, I wonder if in Eve and Adam's mind, like if they thought we ate of it, now we're dead immediately, okay? That's not what happens, and actually there's a, there's a, a, a silver lining in the blessing of God. Why? Because God, as we're going to see, especially next week, is in the process of restoring us to authenticity through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and so he gives every human being an opportunity to get straight with him. Right? And so he doesn't annihilate them right there, but he he, she actually shows grace. And so he's but part of the curse is you came from the dust, till the dust you will return. And we're gonna park here next week briefly on the idea of death. Like it looks like at this point the death is the great victor over the plans of God. It sure looks that way. Because the the globe is littered with the pockmarks of human graves it wasn't God's original intent but this is the curse of God that death now enters in fact the uh, the text is very clear like there's strain on all of nature all of nature is now strained because of the sin of humanity and paradise lost I love Romans chapter eight. The apostle Paul hints at this. Like He he takes probably his his understanding of Genesis three and he he applies it to Romans chapter eight. And he says this, he says, against its will, Romans eight verse 20, against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager, what church? Hope. Isn't that crazy? Like even creations like longing for the return of Christ. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join with God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Like, creation's groaning and longing for the day when Christ returns. And by the way, I hope I'm 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 intentionally painting a really bleak picture here this morning. Like, I... I want you to stop longing for the things of earth. The things of earth are under the curse of God. I want you to start longing for a Savior who's going to return and make it all right. Because the more your focus is on the things of this earth, the more you will feel empty, hollow, naked, ashamed, disunified from other people. Because everything here on earth is under the curse of God right now. What happens is I man we focus on the things of earth I man if I just had more money if I just got this promotion if I got this stuff you know it's American dream blah 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 what happens when we don't attain it we're incredibly disappointed and disillusioned and the problem is our focus is not on the right things and the rest of this book is trying to tell us how God is gonna return us to paradise through the person and work of Christ. And he's trying to encourage us, take your eyes off the things of this world and put them on the things that are eternal because God has sent us a savior that will save us from this mess. He didn't have to. Eve knew the consequences right out of the chute. But by his grace, he said, man, I love these people and I'm gonna return them to what I originally intended. And by the way, going to cost me a whole lot more than them and so everything's strained nature's strained all the things that god intended to bless us are now strained right i mean there's strain and and part of the curse there's now strain and difficulty in childbearing enough said okay um there's uh, there's strain in in marriage relationships even work which was intended to give purpose and meaning is now strained right you ever get done, I don't know in your family, whoever does the bills, right? You get done paying the bills and you get done and you're like, I just, I can't ever seem to get ahead. You ever feel like that? That's the part of the curse. Like you're, like to be clear, like the whole American dream thing, like you're, you're really, and I'm not saying you shouldn't work to achieve and all that can be the blessing of God, but, but there's no promise of that. You're, you're actually going against the curse, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to go out and work the fields, and there's going to be thorns and thistles. Like, when you're having a tough day at work, I say this all the time when I'm having a tough day at work. I go, thorns and thistles, man, thorns and thistles. Just part of the curse. Like, it's it, 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 we are going to struggle by the sweat of our brow. This isn't very American, is it? Even the blessings that God originally intended are now strained, okay? And so and so. finally, I want you to see paradise lost, okay? This is paradise lost. Auth- authenticity is no longer natural to us because we've, we've lost the creator's original design. And so all that definition I gave you at the beginning of authenticity by Webster is, you know, we've lost all that because of sin. And, and we no longer naturally conform to the fact or reality as god intended we're we're now consumed with being inauthentic we're we're not consumed with hiding and running and we're in we're in desperate need of saving we're in desperate need of saving and authentic which used to be natural and normal is now exceedingly difficult and requires discipline and effort to grow in the likeness of Christ. Now, one of the things this is a little side note. Okay, and I'm going to wrap this thing up, but just one a little side note. Um, one of the things we try to do in these six week series is to give you a book and and offer it to you then and, and something that we think will help you grow. Okay, and, and grow in spirituality grow to be more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so this book that we've got for sale at the Connect Center, I've got about thirty. Okay, we're selling them at our cost. I believe it's ten dollars. It's our cost. A few cents, one side or the other, okay? And it's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. This is a great, great book about some spiritual disciplines that you can put in your life to grow to be more like Christ. I know for a fact they're cheaper uh, on your online bookstore, meaning on your Kindle your your whatever, you know, Samsung, iPad. You can get them online even cheaper. But we are offering them 10 bucks. It's a great book on how we can put disciplines in our lives. And you say, what do spiritual disciplines have to do with authenticity? It is the fight for authenticity is the fight to be molded into the image of Christ so that we have authenticity in our daily journey. So I want to offer that to you, encourage you to read that so that you'll produce the essential features of likeness. okay? And to grow to be more like Jesus. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, so I've, I've kind of heavied your heart here this morning, and that's okay. I, I actually want to leave you with that a little bit so you'll come back next week and hear about the second Adam, We talked about the first Adam this week. Next week we're going to talk about the second Adam, is what the Apostle Paul calls Jesus Christ. Okay, Um, so I want to leave you with that a little bit. But think about the Lord's prayer, right? We pray this, and probably a lot of you know it by heart, right? And so, what when Jesus taught us to pray, he says he prays, "Your kingdom come, your what, church, will be done where on earth as it is in heaven." What is that? That's that's a return to paradise. That's a fight for authenticity. That's a fight to restore things to its original design as God originally intended it. And the reason I spent so much time this morning in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and read you an entire chapter is if the rest of this book is in light of those three chapters. And so when you're reading other things, you have to be mindful of the grander story of what God is doing. Right? And I've said this before, if you get all the way to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, guess what shows up again? The tree of life. See, he banned us from the tree of life because it would be horrific to live in a state of sin for all eternity in this broken nature. And So yes, physical death still wins for all of us. But the Bible has given us hope in a second Adam who gives us the opportunity to overcome spiritual death and return to what God originally intended in the tree of life. U R Darby was a uh, a guy in the 1900s that bought a gold mine in Colorado, and uh, he uh, he mined this this gold mine for much of his life, and he he found enough gold to pay off his debts and, and make a meager living, but he he never got rich. Towards the end of his life, he sold this business to uh, an equip- and his equipment to an old junk dealer in Colorado. This junk dealer <clears throat> decided to hire a geologist. And this geologist came in, and he studied this mine, and he learned that UR Darby stopped searching three feet from the main vein of gold in his mine. If he had dug three more feet, he would have been an incredibly wealthy man. You know, some of you this morning, you came in here this morning, and I've preached kind of a heavy sermon, but you've almost given up on things of God, and here's why, here's where I want to transition. The word I want to give you this morning is the word hope. Okay? Hope. Maybe the stuff I've been defining about the broken are like, man, that defines my life, Pastor. Sean, you're like, you're hitting it right on. That's who I like. I need something more than just it's broken. I get it. I'm living it, right? So let me give you hope, okay? Because you are Darby, stop just a little bit short. And I want to encourage you, don't stop just a little bit short. I'm going to give you the hope of the gospel. And it's actually found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God in his grace gives a little hint of the rest of the story. Check this out, John. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will cause hostility. This is the curse of God after the fall of man. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. So he's talking about the offspring of the woman. He says, he will strike you, uh, he will strike your head. What's he hinting at here? He's talking about Jesus Christ killing all that the serpent had done, and he will strike your heel. And so he's talking about the, the, the promise is, and the hope that God gives to Adam and Eve is, I'm going to send a savior. And he... He's going to get struck on the heel. He's going to go through difficulties, but ultimately he's going to vanquish all that's broken, all that's evil. And in the end, he will win. And so even in the curse of God, he gives a little hint of the second Adam. And so next week, I hope I've whetted your appetite because next week we're going to talk about the savior, the second Adam see the first Adam messed it all up and we live under the brokenness and curses of the first Adam but the second Adam Jesus Christ comes and he sets it all straight he's leading us with hope back to God's original design making it again authentic we have hope church we have hope let's close with prayer heavenly father I want to thank you for the hope of Jesus Christ Man, we all live in the brokenness and the inauthenticity of sin and paradise lost. But this morning, God, as a church, we look forward to the second Adam, the hope of the return of Christ. God, I pray for anyone in here this morning whose focus of their lives have been on the things of this world and has left them beaten, battered, and hurting, God, that this morning, God, you would begin to awaken the hope of the message of the gospel, that the rest of the story of the scriptures is God saving man, not because they deserve it, but because God is gracious, and God is merciful, and God is good, and we give you thanksgiving, and we give you praise for what we're going to learn about next week, which is the hope of of the second Adam, God's son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, this is our offering time this morning, and if you're a guest with us, first of all, we want to thank you for being here, and we don't want you to feel any obligation to give this service as our gift to you. We'd love to have one thing from you as a guest on the side of that bulletin, is as a tear-off, we call that a connect card, and if you just fill it out, we just want to send you a thank you card for coming. That's all we're going to do with that, and it gives us some, a little bit of information um, for our database. Maybe you're here this morning, and as I was preaching, man, your heart was heavy, and you knew, man, I just need to pray with someone. I need to be ministered to We always have one of our prayers team members sitting up here on the front row, and they would love to minister to you. And uh, they're kind of designated with purple shirts, so you know who they are, and uh, they would love uh, to pray with you. And then I'm going to do something a little bit different here this morning, just to make you aware. Uh, We try to do this once a month. Uh, I'm going to show you a video clip of the Hampton Soup Kitchen. So one of the things we're really passionate about at Coastal is missions and making sure that all the ministry we do isn't just here, but goes out side of these walls, and so as you know, actually, uh, we've got our Guatemala team is is away this week, so be praying for them, Uh, but your support when you donate money here, we make sure 10 cents of every dollar goes out to missions, Uh, and so you went to help support the Guatemala team, Um, and then this is is the Hampton Soup Kitchen, and so if you go, man, that's a really cool ministry, and I'd like to know how I can be involved, Um, on top of donating, you can be involved, and you can meet someone at the missions kiosk on the way out, and they would love to talk to you about how you can be involved at the Hampton Soup Kitchen. Here's the Hampton Soup Kitchen.
0: My name is Alexis Ferris and I um, run the soup kitchen at Hampton Baptist Church. Uh, right now, we're not meeting at Hampton Baptist Church because they are renovating, but uh, we're meeting at uh, First Presbyterian, which is a corner of Victoria and Armistead in downtown Hampton. We serve uh, lunch, starting uh, the Monday after Labor Day through um, the Monday before Memorial Day and um, it's strictly donation run um, thankfully uh, coastal community Church has ever since we've been here have been uh, supporting that ministry
1: So lay down your
0: Everyone's really friendly, we always had a lot of um, camaraderie with the people who come in and we like to get to know everybody and their name and just make it kind of like a, a large family. Sometimes like on um, some Mondays when school is out, there's a lot of children that come in that's the part that you know, really hits your heart when you see these kids coming in and they're, they're hungry and they appreciate everything you do for them, so it just kind of um, makes your heart feel good that you're in a position that you can do this for people. I think it's amazing. You know, um, it's just a nice thing. To do. It's really more of a blessing to me, um, just being in the hands and feet of Jesus and showing His love. Uh, listening to the people, sometimes they just need a smile or a hug, or sometimes they want you to pray with them. So it's, it's just a, a real blessing.
1: Lay down your shame. Oh, you Lift up your face. You guys stand with us. i